Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. I'm Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, and we're coming to you from the Coming Home Network International. And uh, thank you for joining us. I want to remind those of you, especially if this is the first time you've joined us, that you can find out more about our work at ceasenetwork.org. But you can look at all the old Deep in Scripture programs if you go to deepinscripture.com. Now, on this program, I invite uh, a friend to join me to talk about Scripture. And in this series of programs, we're talking about what we call hard verses. For those of you joining us for the first time, this this idea came about. I remember when I was a Protestant minister that I divided all of Scripture into three categories. There were those that were clear, those that were uh, cloudy, and those that were stormy and hard. There were those verses that were easy. I didn't think they needed any further interpretation. They were just clear. They said what they said. There were a couple others that didn't fit into my theology very well, so I needed to work hard to get them to fit. They were a bit cloudy, and once I had a good answer, knee-jerk answer, then they became clear because they fit. And then there was verses that, well, frankly, I never preached on. I kept up on the nice shelf. I didn't know what to do with them because I didn't have a clear answer. And the point is, I found over my years as a pastor that there were some verses that were easy for me, but not so easy for the Methodist minister across the road or, or the Baptist or the Catholic down the street. And so in our program, I've asked my guests to choose a verse that was hard for them, and then how'd they come to understand and see it more clearly? We're very privileged today to have join us Dan Burke, who's the executive director of the National Catholic Register. Dan, welcome to Deep in Scripture. Marcus, it's great to be with you. I would never turn down uh, the ability to uh, spend time with you, uh, radio, <laughs> television, whatever. So You're a joy. good friend, Dan. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I want to give you a, a little bit. National Catholic Register, some of our audience may not, may not be familiar with that wonderful publication. And uh, it, it used to be primarily print. Now it's a both and, right? Yeah, I mean, in a big way, we, we're uh, we'll we'll have about 24 million page views this year online. So that means 24 million pages that are accessed and read uh, from people around the world. And and uh, since the acquisition of the Register in 2011, we're up 90 plus percent in print subscriptions, which is happening to exactly how many other newspapers on the planet, do you yeah, think? Yeah, right. That's, Somewhere close to zero. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, I, I remember talking to publishers over the years about, uh, you know, trying to do what I could to try and tempt them into publishing one of my books. And, you know, one of the issues is that it, it gets to the point where they're nervous about investing money in the publishing of a book because the question is, will they get the money back? Yeah. And, and and that's the the whole change of the media today with everything electronic. Mm -hmm. That there's this big question about: uh, Do we continue making paper products? Yeah, I'm not ready to get up give up on them. <laughs> no, I'm 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 one of those in betweeners where I I consume a lot of media digitally, but uh, the most important things I consume in print uh, format, uh, whether it be scripture, liturgy of the hours, though I do pray liturgy of the hours a lot digitally, yep. but uh, if I'm reading a devotional text, I want to be able to underline it, feel it. I think that um, it is contrary to the way that we're made to experience the most important things 
in the dimension of a digital. Uh, otherwise, uh, architecture doesn't matter and uh, sacred architecture doesn't matter and uh, the you know things like incense don't, don't matter. The incarnational reality of the church and the truths of God are lost in the digital flattening environment. So we, we can benefit from it because it allows us, for instance, at the Avalon Institute, we have students in 44 countries and we're based in Alabama. Yeah. Well, we only can do that through digital, right? Uh, with the register, we reach just huge numbers of people digitally. But we have to be careful to protect the sacred uh, spaces of our lives, prayer, the mass, uh, community, with uh, due concern for the incarnational reality of those things. Uh, otherwise, we will flatten them out and they'll, they'll lose they'll lose their proper place in our souls, you know, so, well, but it is, it is a blessing. I mean, I, I'm here with you because of uh, that's technology. Right. That's right. You know, we, we feel like we're sitting there talking to each other face to face. And of course you're, sure. you're, uh, you're way down South and I'm up here in Ohio. So, but that's been allowed. But a, an example of that is the verses that you've chosen for us to look at. One of which is, John chapter 14, verse 21, and the other one we'll look at, if we have time, is First John chapter 2, verse 17. I just happened to open up my paper Bible. This happens to be the one that's been my working Bible for now almost 30-some years. Mm. And both of these verses that you've chosen, I have already underlined and annotated in there, is a history. It, it allows me to have a history with the Word of God. Mm -hmm. that it's a little bit more difficult with these new electronic versions to have that intimate history with the Word that you can exactly. have, you can hold in your hands, you can underline, you can share with somebody. It frustrates me that I know that there have been books that I bought online 10, 15 years ago that I can't open anymore. I can't share <laughs> with anyone. They're gone. <laughs> you know, it's a hope we're, we, now we're going to open up another can of worms. But, but Dan, one other thing before we move on, the, sure. The, your other work with Spiritual Direction. Tell the audience yeah. about that. Well, spiritualdirection.com is the largest uh, uh, site, most heavily trafficked site in the world that I'm aware of dedicated to faithful Catholic spirituality. So with the Avila Foundation, we, we have graduate studies in spiritual theology. Uh, in, uh, we have uh, regular, you know, regular folk studies in spiritual theology. And uh, we have spiritualdirection.com. I've written and edited uh, seven books on Catholic spirituality. The recent, most recent is Into the Deep, Finding Peace Through Prayer, which is going to, uh, by the looks of it, have um, exponentially larger distribution than all the other books combined <clears throat> because of God's mercy and the great hunger for prayer in the church, uh, especially in these tumultuous times. So so I love what I do for EWTN. It's very compatible with uh, my work in spiritual theology. Um, I'm grateful to Michael Warsaw, the chairman and CEO there, who's who's very uh, effectively carrying out the the vision of of uh, Mother Angelica, and uh, he allows me to do both of these things. They're quite symbiotic, and um, but uh, I love them both. Which is exactly what you thought, what, 30 years ago that you'd be doing with the rest of your life, right? <laughs> you know what's funny, Marcus? <clears throat> I know you know this. I, uh, I had a, as a Protestant, I was deeply blessed. So, I mean, I, I came to Christ uh, as from my 
upbringing in Judaism. I'm a, I am still a Jew. I'm a, I'm a believing Jesus is the Messiah. And now I'm in the fullness of his church. But that journey in that middle way was, was such a blessing. But uh, my life since being a Catholic took a radical, uh, dramatic, unexpected, uh, it's been a, like, it's not quite Mr. Toad's wild ride. Actually, I think it makes that ride look <laughs> tame, you know, at Disneyland. Um, I would have never expected um, to be so blessed as I've been. Uh, to be able to work with guys like you and uh, Michael Warsaw and great, wonderful bishops, Archbishop Shapu. Yeah. So uh, to be, you know, a lot of people ask me, how is it that you, what are your credentials? And I always <laughs> laugh. I say, well, I have a doctorate that's unearned. I have, a, you know, uh, I'm pretty poorly un un uh, educated below that. Um, uh, I have no qualifications for what I do, but uh, by God's mercy, and I mean this uh, in a very deep way. Uh, he helped me to see the truth, and he helped me to say yes. He gave me the grace. And I'm doing my best to say yes because he gave everything for me. And when you do that, you're up for a ride that you could have never dreamed of because you're now uh, letting him, allowing him to be the captain of your ship, the master of your destiny. And uh, you're just along for the ride, and, and just and you just keep trying to say yes. And uh, what a what a grace to be Catholic. You know, and it's you're talking about the gift of humility. That is a gift, and it's you know we don't we don't have the right to say like Moses did that we are the humblest guy that ever lived, but but recognizing that that changes us. As we get older, we recognize we need to be willing to say, you know, I thought I had it together and I didn't. I thought I understood it all, I didn't. And you know, you're—I hate to, to make this kind of a comment to you because of all your writing and spiritual direction and, and spirituality. But one of the things I discovered in becoming Catholic was the writings of the early church fathers, and one of them really opened my eyes, uh, Saint Chromatius, to a way of understanding the Beatitudes as a as a ladder of journey. A, conversion that he talks about. St. Leo talked about that. So did St. Gregory of Nazianzen, however you say that name. That's right. But, but, but the idea that each of the nine Beatitudes leads to the next. So you begin by poverty of spirit, which is detached from the world. You move to mourning for your sins, detached from sin. You move on to mourning for humility and mercy, I mean, and meekness in which you're detaching yourself from self, and when you have detached yourself from that stuff, there's a void that you fill with righteousness, hungering, thirsting for that, and as you're growing in that, you grow in mercy, you grow in purity, you reach out in peacefulness, and you get persecuted, so there's that journey. The only reason I bring that up is the beginning of that is detachment, and for spiritual direction from growing, the most important thing Jesus is saying in that is this idea that if you want to grow closer to me, you got to detach from mm -hmm. the other stuff. And that's yep. what, and I'd say from all your work in spiritual direction, probably wouldn't you say that's one of the most, the biggest barrier that prevents people from moving closer to Jesus is their attachment to everything yeah, else. Our, our ability to love is finite. It, it has a, it has a beginning and an end in any given moment. And, 
And to the degree that we give that love, this is the teaching of St. John of the Cross, to the degree that we give any sliver of that love to a created thing, whatever it be, uh, we are unable to love God. But then, but this is the strange part about uh, the faith, because it sounds like, that sounds like to somebody who doesn't understand that what I'm saying, well, what do you mean? You can't love your wife? No, that doesn't work that way. When you give all the love to God, he then enables and empowers you to give a love that you could only give through God to uh, properly ordered relationships, right? Mm. So like our spouses or our children or, or our communities that we're in or our parishes. And so, yeah, the, the entirety of, the, of the, this process of ever-deepening union with God is, is saying no to the thing that isn't God and, and, and replacing that. The other side of that coin is yes to, to God, and then, and then everything's properly ordered, and then we have peace, really. That, yeah. That's the secret of peace, is saying uh, no to all things that are not God and yes to all things that are. And then we have this properly ordered relationship to all things that, that are created and not God. Uh, but that is a, you know, it's a tough thing to understand. Uh, it's, it's easy for me to say. I've been wrestling with it for a long time. But it is very hard to understand outside of experience uh, of that reality. Um, because what happens when you do that, this is another truth uh, from mystical theology, what happens as you do that is that, that that finite reality of your ability to love suddenly begins to expand. And so if you give all that love to God, then suddenly the, the boundaries of your love begin to fade because you're becoming like God in, uh, in the, the infinite capacity then, somewhat closer to this infinite capacity to love anyone and everyone and honestly do so even if you don't know them, which is a completely strange re, uh, reality to me to experience, to be able to stand in front of a... I was not too long ago speaking in Peoria, Illinois, and I had a crowd of over a thousand people there. Mm. And, and I honestly loved that entire crowd of people. I, I, and I can say that. I, that doesn't, there's nothing special about me. I'm just ex describing the experience that I honestly experienced love for them in a very profound way, whereas I, that would have been something, even as a Protestant or particularly as a non-Christian, I would, I would have thought would be disingenuous or not possible. But that's what happens when the love of God wells up in your heart, is it, is it overflows and, and creates a kind of existence that is uh, uh, beyond human, uh, which is what we understand as divinization, becoming like God. I'm going to pull a major punch on you, my friend. I love having uh -oh. you here. Because I'm going to throw a hard verse at you that you weren't planning, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. And, I mean, it's, it's not like it's, you know, uh, so radically difficult. However, given what you're talking about, there's a scripture that ends a book, and it's one of these New Testament books that people wonder, well, are we missing something here? Did the rest of the book get lost? Why would this author end with this verse? It doesn't make sense. How do we explain sure. this? 1 John 5, 21. Mm -hmm. Simple verse. It doesn't make sense. It's a good way to end a book. But, but 
The Apostle John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols, period. Mm -hmm. Talk about that, well, my friend. Well, you, 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 that could have been a lead into everything I just said. <laughs> I, you know, idols are those things which, those, uh, an idol is any creature that is loved in a disordered way or that, or is, is cherished or is held in esteem in a disordered way. And when it, what, what is disto disordered way? A disordered way is, is what we've described. That is that in some way we hold it in too tightly and too high of an esteem, uh, which then <clears throat> takes away from, again, that limited nature of our love. It, it, it orients that love to that thing. That, and, and an idol can be anything. It can be, I mean, I, I used to have an incredible Jeep uh, that I built um, uh, that could go anywhere in the Colorado mountains where I lived. And I always wanted it when I was a kid. I always uh, loved going and doing all of that. And finally I had the money to do it. <clears throat> so I bought this Jeep and then began to build it from the ground up. And it was quite an extraordinary piece of equipment. But a few years ago, around 2009, I think, no, 2010, I, I began to have this sense that it was a spiritual impediment to me. And I thought, well, how could this be? You know, I don't, it, do I really care about this thing? But it was, I was always working on it, always putting money into it. And I realized I needed to sell it. Now, it took me a few years because I really love the thing, which is, is not, is doing the opposite of what, uh, what, what John uh, said here. <laughs> and, uh, event and eventually I sold it. Um, now, <clears throat> if I were more spiritually mature, I wouldn't have had to sell it in order to break the yeah. bond, if you will, between me and that material thing. And it's not just a Jeep. It's not just big tires and all. It has to do with my childhood, and my childhood was very tumultuous. The only time I had peace, uh, one of the few times I had peace was in the wilderness with my father. And so there's, there's all kinds of, you know, junk attached to it, which is common with a lot of things that we hold, that we, that we make into idols. There's more to it than the thing itself. And God wanted to heal me of that, and uh, and and He did. I gave, you know, I sold it. Man, it was tough watching it drive away. <laughs> um, but it was very good, and I bought it, a very humble two-wheel drive pickup, stick shift, no power windows. But I did it all on purpose, uh, in order to really combat that element in me that was stuck on that thing, whether it be the, you know, the. Uh, the external view of it or whatever it was, I just wanted to go total break, you know, and, um, and I'm glad I did it. I, I, I really don't want, Jesus gave everything for me, everything. And I don't want anything. I, there is just nothing that I want in the way. And even to the point where Marcus, I don't even want something that might be in the way, you know, <laughs> Uh, why would I? Why would I even take any risk that anything uh, would hinder my uh, giving myself my all, all that I am to Christ? And so that's a good example yeah. of what John and John is warning us about. This is because we, our minds and hearts, are idle factories. Uh, it is. It is a. It is a. Uh, uh, I would say that uh, I've said that the human person has an infinite capacity for self-delusion. 
we also have an infinite capacity for worship and a desire to worship. It is, it is inherent in our design such that we will, if not properly oriented, if we don't do all that we can to aim, if you will, all of that uh, worshipness that's in our souls that we're designed to do, um, then we will aim it at something and, and become disordered in our attachment to something that isn't God. And, and that's why John ends this there, it, because it's so important, because it is so much a part of our nature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with all that he says, and I've always thought First John is one of the deepest books of the New Testament. Uh, sure. You know, that he, he, he wrote this when he was in the seventh castle uh, mm-hmm. of Teresa Avila. He's writing from that perspective, and and yep. most of us aren't there. I'm not. Yeah. Um, right. I'm, I, I'm not. I'm in the basement. He's levitating <laughs> in my chair. Let me know. I I haven't experienced that. But that's why First John is fascinating. In fact, I'm going to once again. We may have to have you back to deal with the verses you wanted to do. But I'm going to. I'm going given what you've just said. I want to keep going on that, and okay. take you back to chapter two of First John. Because John ends that book with that simple statement as the ultimate summary of everything he said, warning them because of the time that they're in. But in chapter 2, 15 through 17, it's really the last part of verse 17 that I want to focus on, but I want to give the whole context when he says, again, giving everything you've said, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, I want you to deal with the hardness of discerning the will of God so that you can do what Christ called us to do back in John 15, which to abide in him, continue remain in him, the challenge of that. Now, but at the same time, there's all these other voices that, are, that he's talking about in the beginning of that, our, our, mm-hmm. our, our flesh, the world, the devil. Mm-hmm. So how do I discern from all these voices what indeed is the will of God for me in my life so that I can abide in him faithfully? Yeah, well, John or Paul gives us a lot of clues to that, you know. Uh, he says, think on these things, mm-hmm. uh, you know. He yep. says, he says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He says, uh, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of God— so uh, Romans 12, uh, he says, uh, uh, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there are a lot of uh, passages in the New Testament that reflect this idea of the orientation of our minds. And in, in, in the New Testament terms, as you know, that isn't, uh, that idea isn't purely limited to intellect. It's, it's really mixed in with with. Uh, this idea of the heart as well. So the orientation of our minds and our hearts uh, to the degree that they're oriented to God, we understand as well, but that has to do with relationship. It isn't what he's not saying here, uh, which he also isn't saying in in John 14. Uh, It says, he who does the will of God abides forever. He's not, we misunderstand 
that often as he who ch does the right checklist abides forever. And that, I think from the outside in, as Protestants looking at Catholicism, because we are oriented to to cooperating with God is, is a big, is, we understand that as, as part of our salvation. But of course, you and I both know the, that we can't cooperate without grace. So it, it all requires yeah. grace. We're not, we're not denying grace by that cooperation. We're, we're in fact affirming it and saying, yes, I will do it, as James uh, also uh, points us to. But the fact is that in order to discern the will of God, we have to mature in our relationship with God, as Paul describes in all those passages. And we have to come to know him so that we know in the his will related to what is it that he asks of us individually. And so, of course, uh, the law is is part of that. You know, we don't commit adultery and we don't, you know, we don't do the don'ts and we do do the do's. But there's a deeper level here, and I think that this word abide that John uses also references back to John 14, when he, Jesus says, if you, if you keep my commandments, you, you, know, you love me. It, it demonstrates that you love me. What he means in a covenant is that if you live within the covenant of love, this is what it looks like. You don't, it, it's the same as uh, I have a covenant of love with my wife, uh, which is called marriage, right? So if I live within that covenant of love, I don't commit adultery, right? Yeah. You can hear it. You can see the, the comparison then to the, the Ten Commandments. If I live in this covenant of love with God, it looks like this. I don't commit adultery. I don't worship another God uh, in my covenant with my wife. I don't uh, give place to reverence to other women like I would to my wife. What does that all point to? It points to relationship, which is what I didn't understand about these kinds of passages before I became Catholic. Now, in the Protestant world, there's a lot of discussion about do you have a personal relationship with Christ? But out of the, at least out of the Calvinist tradition, which both of us uh, come out of, mm -hmm. um, that is much more jurat, juridical, contractual, really, in the end, uh, when you get into the theology rather than relational in understanding. Uh, because it takes you into this uh, false, um, I, I would say, an entirely false discussion of once saved, always saved, uh, you know, uh, are you works or false dichotomy of works versus faith. It, it, it takes you down a completely wrong path. But look, if, if I'm going to have a relationship of, of love with you, Marcus, I am not going to do things that damage you or hurt you. I'm only going to do things that help you. Um, but, but also, if you and I are going to have a relationship, just like the other day, I called you on the phone. Hey, there's this tough issue. I want to talk to you about this. Yep. Yep. We have to communicate. Uh, I, I, we, have to, we have to kind of live with one another in a sense. And for me to understand the wisdom and the gifts that you have to give me, I have to know you in some sense. And so it is with this passage, this reality of knowing God and living in God is truly relational and you can damage that relationship <laughs> if it's not a, if it's not don't call it relationship if i can't damage it don't call it relationship if i can't it, we sort of violate language with a false theology um i don't know if this is making sense what yeah. i'm getting at but 
But that's what tripped me up a lot as a Protestant was, you know, I had an extraordinary conversion. I experienced Christ in very powerful ways. And then I'm told by my well-meaning Presbyterian theologian brother in a particular work of systematic theology that mysticism, which is just the experiential reality of God, is, 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 is out. That can't you. That's because it threatens sola scriptura. And I'm going. Wait a minute. <laughs> you just said personal relationship. So do you not mean relationship? And do you not mean personal? Because the words you're using are just legal. And so there was a major conflict in me, of of I believe that God has saved me by grace, and only by grace. Um, but, and I believe I'm supposed to have a person, but. I, the, the, the juridical framework uh, is very limited. It's in Scripture, don't get me wrong, right? Mm-hmm. We affirm that. Paul, in particular, is very uh, uh, likes that language. But it's incomplete in and of itself to, uh, to explaining to us what is the, the breadth and depth and reality of this encounter with God that we have when we are walking with Him. Yeah, this, this phrase, abiding, yeah. In Christ, yeah, and we could spend. You know, I we, we would need a knife far sharper than me in the drawer to deal with <laughs> what Paul meant by the phrase "in Christ," because mm-hmm. there's a difference between becoming in Christ, right, and abiding in mm-hmm. Christ, mm-hmm. and that concept and the difference between those two things divides Christians all over the world because there are those people that believe that because I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior 48 years ago at a Bible camp up on Lake Erie, that therefore I'm in Christ and I can't Mm -hmm. be out of Christ ever Mm -hmm. except that Jesus commanded us to abide in in him. It's not something that just is automatically there. So you get into through baptism, through faith, through grace. But when you're in, then the process just begins of yeah. abiding, remaining, and continuing. Well, and the way that I came to some clarity on this is through the through the doctors of the church, the spiritual doctors in particular. Uh, you know, St. Paul said uh, in the New Testament, follow me as I follow Christ. And so he gives this example of this reality that um, in order oftentimes to understand the truths of God, we must follow others who are doing a great job at following Christ. So it, it wasn't wrong for Paul to say that, and thus it's not wrong for others to say that. And so by reading the, the saints, and, and I really uh, discovered that I was quite sane, and I had some question as to whether or not I was, when I encountered St. Teresa of Avila, and I encountered the spiritual doctors where they said, this is what it means. And of course, not a one of them adds to or takes away from Scripture, as our brethren are afraid of with this notion of sola scriptura. But in fact, they lived Scripture in such a way as to change the world, as to radically alter the entire societal reality around them. Why? Because they did truly abide with Christ. They loved him and gave everything for him. 
And by saying yes in every aspect of their life and constantly wrestling with what it means to say yes and constantly saying no and constantly uh, receiving this purification, this work of grace in God, they became exceptionally holy, Mm -hmm. even though they were subject to the same issues of sin that we all are. They became exceptionally holy, exceptionally much more like Christ, much more a sharer or a participator in the divine nature, as Scripture says. And thus, we're a much brighter light to the world. And when they write and reveal, what is it like to pray when you're in that reality? And, And we're all called to union with God in this life and the next. But what is it like to experience intimacy with God? What is it like to abide what is it like in John 14 when he says, if you abide in me and I abide and I will abide with you and the father and I will, will, will dine with you in, in one translation, he will manifest himself to us. This, this doesn't threaten sola scriptura. It's actually the fulfillment of the reality of scripture of what God intended to convey to us in, 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 uh, in, in time and space, right? So that's what made these scriptures come alive for me. And it's why when I look at them now with you here, I say, well, I, I know a good bit of that, what that is. And, and it isn't hard for me to understand it like it was before. Because as a Protestant, I remember wrestling with John 14 going, what does that mean? And why is, why is this eminent uh, theologian respected across all denominations saying that's bad territory, but yet I think it's in that very territory that they're afraid of because they're trying to protect a false edifice, I think, of Sola Scriptura. Uh, It's in that very edifice that they're afraid of where Christ resides and where, you know, they hold themselves back from God because they are fearful of of disrupting this idea of Sola Scriptura. If we just... uh maybe just one last little thought here to reflect on what you've just said there. We take a simple verse like that last one in the, while John closes his thoughts, keeping, keep yourself from idols. In the old day, when you and I were Protestants, sometimes the danger is once we get an answer for that verse, Mm -hmm. it's solved and -hmm. I can move on. Oh, yeah, he's talking about, you know, don't have anything else between you and God. Okay, great. Now I move on. The spiritual writers, the great people that you talk about, they, they might spend their life trying to understand that verse in a way. Mm-hmm. What does that mm-hmm. mean? What's mm-hmm. an idol? How do I keep, what does it mean to keep myself from it? How do I keep mm-hmm. myself from it? I don't have the ability. Is it myself? Is it grace? Is it surrender? Keep yourselves, me, what of me, my mind, my heart. My, I mean, there's more in there. Yeah, it, what does keep mean, by the way? Yeah. What is, you know, how, so you just figured out that out once and go, yeah, okay. What is that? How do you keep? Right? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 and the, it I don't mean to interrupt your thought. No, but, but the, beauty, that... the beauty of our faith, the beauty of the Catholic faith is that we are traveling up the narrow road with Christ with him. This is not an abstract idea. It is not something that I've merely assented to 
and maybe even assented to in a very serious, profound way. It is a living relationship with God. And I don't, I don't know how to say it other than I want, you know, I want to shout it oftentimes. <laughs> I want to say, Jesus, you know, a friend of mine left, uh, left the faith when I was working for Dr. James Dobson, focused on the family. And he said to me, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. And I said, Dennis, you know, I, I'm, uh, you, that means you never knew him. And he got angry at me. And I, I said, Dennis, I can no longer, no, no, I can no more deny the person of Christ than I can you. How could I say, well, I don't believe in Dennis anymore. If you would say I would be insane if I said that. Why? Because you exist. I can't unbelieve in you. I can't, <laughs> I can't erase you, but, you know, but if you've really encountered Christ in this profound way, not just a one moment change in life where we said yes, it's a constant yes, a constant deep, ever deepening relationship with him, a constant ascent, a constant experience and change of experience, a constant deeper knowing, uh, then gosh, you know, yeah, I'm never, I, I can't go back. Well, and you're a student of John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, and if we just, that keeping idea, you have a friend that you talk about who was at one time a firm believer in Christ, had accepted Christ, and then at some day, all of a sudden, I don't believe in him anymore. Well, what does that mean? Well, if everything is simplistic, you no, know, you can't grow in spirituality, there's no depth of things, you can't, you're either in Christ or not. Then when you don't feel it anymore or you go through a, a difficult time, well, what does that mean? Oh, no, I don't believe anymore. Well, you have John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila that reflect on what it means to keep. Keep sometimes means God pulling away from you, testing, disciplining, honing, refining our faith so that in the end we're not dependent on the lust the, the, the sensuality things that he, that he talked about in chapter two, but it's truly a surrender to Jesus Christ, to him. Yeah, there's a, deeper, there's a deeper love than the one that we only give because we get. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, it, as you say, when we mature in faith, he does pull away, but a little bit like well, the mom, as John of the Cross used this analogy, mom setting down baby, when baby needs to learn to crawl on its own and hold its head up on its own. Well, she wouldn't love the baby if she carried him his whole life and she'd become broken and sick if she did that as well because babies get big. You know, but a baby that lo a mother that loves her baby sets the baby down and what happens when the baby gets set down, they whine and scream and cry. And we do that too because we want all of that sensual reality. But yeah, the relationship with God is ever-changing. He draws us through various phases that are very uh, well known by the saints, the spiritual doctors of the church, of uh, ever-deepening relationship with him uh, that are difficult and beautiful and challenging and and life-changing, you know, yeah, but always, always good. And we want, which is the reason we have this program and others, uh, we want people to grow closer in abiding in Christ. I'm thinking about the, one of the last chapters in C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, uh, The Great Divorce, where, you know, it's about a bunch of ghosts that come up from hell to visit heaven. And in one of these scenes, it's a mother. The, uh, the ghost from hell visiting heaven is a mother who's talking to one of the spirits in heaven. 
And the reason she's below is because she has a complete misunderstanding of what love is of her son. She won't let go of her son, who's in heaven, mm-hmm. but she thinks her love for him is the most important thing in the world, but it's total selfishness. Mm-hmm. And in fact, God took her son away. Mm-hmm so that she could let go and grow closer to him, but she would never let go. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, you're talking about the growing in love is what this whole life of ours is about. Yeah. Uh, it, well letting, letting go of idols, the things that stand in the way, and all the, you know, I feel like we scratched the surface, my friend. <laughs> we, 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 you want to just, I can stay on for a week. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you no, back. Okay. And uh, <laughs> yeah. before one last thing in closing, if you were all the books and things you've read, what would you want to tell your audience? If they've never read anything by you, what might you recommend to begin with? I think my latest book, Into the Deep, Finding Peace Through Prayer, was really a work that God has blessed in a tremendous way. Uh, the reports I'm receiving about it, it's really an attempt to help people experience what we've talked about. Great. Uh, help them understand how to answer the call of Christ to put out into the deep and to come to know him and love him and live with him and abide in him in a way that uh, you may never have thought was possible. So I'd love for people to go out and grab that and be changed. Where would you direct them if you wanted them to find that book? You can go to spiritualdirection.com in the resources tab. That's one place. Great. And you go to EWTN Religious Catalog. uh, All right. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's great. We'll have to do it again soon. And our God's blessings on you and your work with National Catholic Register, as well as spiritualdirection.com and the Avila Institute. And all of you, thank you for joining us on this program today. I hope it was an encouragement to you. You If you've got any questions, you can send them to dis at chnetwork.org. God bless you. We'll see you again next week. Dan, thanks. You bet. Appreciate it. That was awesome. I really enjoyed that. And uh, 